Getting hitched? There's a podcast for that, and you're listening to it. The Save the Date Wedding Podcast, the number one podcast about all things wedding-y. Ahoy, me wedding planning mateys. Gosh, see, that's what you sign up for, isn't it? Just to hear that intro going, what the hell is she talking about? Welcome, welcome to part two of the Save the Date Wedding Podcast special episodes uh, about planning a wedding timeline. This is a very important thing that I'm now getting to at episode 87. <laughs> but hey, we build up to these things. We've got to we nurture, we make it happen. I'm Alicia, the host of the Save the Date Wedding podcast. I'm an Aussie living in London who loves to talk about weddings. I wrote a book a couple of years ago called The Guide to Getting Hitched. You can download it for free at savethedatepodcast.com. And it's sort of like a compendium, a companion uh, to this podcast, which I did backwards because I wrote the book and then I started the podcast, but it all goes together. It's written in my voice. It's fun. It's a bit silly. And as I said, it's free. So what are you waiting for? Head to the website, download it. It's in PDF form. You can read it on your various devices and tablets and uh, lots of clickable links, fun times. So this is part two, as I said, if you haven't heard part one, can I suggest you go back to episode 85 and have a listen? Because yes, it's it's not vital, but I really think that I set the scene of the importance of planning a timeline and why it's important. And also I gave you some shortcuts and some avenues to take to prevent having to do shitty paperwork when you don't necessarily want to do it which is my whole life, trying to avoid paperwork. And also just a little bit more about trying to negotiate with your wedding planner. And I don't mean financially negotiate. I just mean get information from a wedding planner if you're using a wedding planner. And also perhaps if you're not using a wedding planner, also communicating with your venues and trying to get some information about other people's weddings and their timelines so you can copy them. And not necessarily copy them, the formatting of their day, but more copying the process they took with their timelines. It really saves some time and also you can tweak it and make it your own. But if you can start with something, foundations of another wedding that worked really well, then you can build on it. Save time. Save time. That's I'm all about making things easier for you. If you haven't heard the podcast before, that's the whole gist. It's saying... Wedding planning is super fun, can be a little stressful, and I often think when you read the wedding magazines, it can get quite overwhelming because everything looks so beautiful, everything costs generally quite a lot of money, although hats off to a lot of the wedding magazines who are now featuring real real, real weddings, well, there you go, professional speaker Alicia McCormack, that are featuring real weddings, and so you can actually see the process of organizing a wedding and not necessarily just seeing beautiful stylized wedding photo shoots, which is what you are seeing in a lot of Pinterest boards and a lot of wedding magazines. These aren't necessarily all events that have taken place. When you are looking at wedding photos, I really like to remind you about this because it's the same. When you pick up a Vogue or a Cosmopolitan, we all know that these magazines photoshop we know that the photographs are staged they've probably taken four thousand photos to get old kimmy k looking like that you know it's not it's not rocket science and it's the same thing with wedding magazines 
We do formulate these ideas of this perfect day, which is bullshit and doesn't exist, by the way. So I think it's really important to be bringing you the reality of weddings and that's that they're awesome, but they're not the be all and end all of your life. And also you shouldn't be having to go into debt to do it. That's basically the podcast in a nutshell. So let's get to today's episode. It is the actual, I've described it last week as sort of a hypothetical working of planning a timeline. So we're going to pretend I'm planning a wedding. I'm not. I might be planning a second wedding if I can convince Rich to go through with it. (laughs) Uh, Maybe for our five or 10 year anniversary, I want another wedding. I want to do it again. I talk about it so much. I'm like, let's do this again. He's like, listen, cool your boots lady, call your boots. So today is all about working through your timeline, working backwards to see what you want to achieve and how you want it to happen and making sure that you are ready for all options, all things that might come up and happen on the wedding day. And also by being really organized, as I said last episode, you won't be a bridezilla, you will be a bride chiller because you'll know what's happening, you know what's coming next, you'll know when you can relax And enjoy the day. For the love of God, you've got to be able to enjoy your wedding day. You have not been going through months slash years of planning to have a crappy day. Really. This is another thing that wedding magazines don't really talk about. They talk all about the the puffing up and the wonderful, you know, planning and all this stuff. But actually going, have a bloody great day. Enjoy yourself. This is what it's all about. It's not about how many, how many... Flowers can fit in a posy on your main table and all that sort of stuff. Fuck that. Seriously. It's about looking at your partner and going, oh, we created this, which is really fun. We worked hard, hopefully not too hard. We've just had a cracking day. All our family and friends are here. Let's smash it. That is what it's all about. So let's get to it. So one of the first things I advise you to do when planning a wedding timeline is to work backwards. Get to the end of the night. It's like having a dessert first. Delicious. Enjoy it. You're an adult. You can do that if you want. So when will you be leaving the venue? When is it all over? And that's a depressing thought. You're like, oh, I worked all this time and now we're talking about the end. But by working backwards, you can work out what should happen when. It's very logical. It sounds silly, but trust me, it works. So by working back from the end, you can ask yourself, what is your ideal time length for your wedding reception. The average with my internet research and talking to a couple of my friends very quickly going, how long was your wedding reception? I don't really remember. The average is about six hours. And with that sort of time length, and again, this comes down to your venue and how much time you're paying for. But on average, they will allow five to six hours for your wedding reception. That includes the meal, the dancing or dancing if you're very fancy, and also maybe a cocktail hour. Now, this depends. If you are getting married at an an venue where you are then perhaps getting married on the premises and then going on to your reception, of course, this will expand to include your wedding ceremony. You need to be sure about, and remember, if you've listened to episode 
73 of the Save the Date Wedding podcast, which I had the wonderful Christy Aslan on, who is a wedding lawyer. She talked all about getting things in writing. So you need to be sure that when you come to an agreement, when you pay your money and when you pay a deposit with the wedding venue, that you have it in writing as to how long you can stay at the wedding venue, when kick-out time is and when you can arrive. It's really important that you get that in writing because this is the foundations of your whole day. And if that's not secure, things get pretty rocky. I'm going to be honest with you. You need to be able to say, all right, we can arrive at the venue at 10 a.m. and we have to leave the venue at 12 p.m. And if that's not uh, in writing, if that's not secure, then I would feel nervous for you. Go back and make a call, get it in writing right now. And just say, Alicia told me to call you. I need to get this sorted. Also, it's very important when you are talking to a venue about timelines that if you want to get in early, that you ask them what time the room is available. Because often if you are getting married at a venue that's being used for weddings regularly, that another couple might be in there until midnight the night before. A lot of people do not have the benefit of time when it comes to setting up their wedding. So if you're physically doing that yourself, you need to work that into your timeline. I really hope, now I did do this, but I hope you don't have to get up and hang decorations and stuff, which again, I've said many times, I love doing it, but perhaps I would go back now if I were to do it again and hire a day of coordinator to come in and do a lot of the small jobs that I and Rich and I actually ended up doing with our bridal party and lovely friends who saved our asses so hard on that day. Crazy, crazy, crazy. But it is important that you get that all sorted prior to your wedding week. You should get this done months in advance. Who am I Who am I kidding? This is crazy. You need to figure out when you can actually enter the premises. Again, if you have a wedding planner, they're going to know all this shit. And if they don't, ditch them and get one that does. So the big question, the big starting off is working backwards, figuring out how long you want your wonderful wedding reception and celebration time to go for. Now, when you're working this in, you need to think about your speech times. You need to also coordinate with a caterer or wedding venue about your meal preparation and service. If you're having a buffet menu meal, it all comes down to having a schedule where you can work around the service of meals and coordinating your speeches at the same time, and then still giving your guests enough time to dance, especially if you have a band or live music, you want to make sure that they kick off exactly when you say they're going to, again, so you're not hemorrhaging money on something that's not actually being used. Wedding bands are great. They're very flexible most of the time. They'll arrive early, discreetly and set up. Again, this is something that you need to negotiate with them and make sure they communicate with the wedding planner and the wedding venue about when they can get access to bring their gear in. Because trust me, you don't want the band tromping in. Tromping's not even a word, but we're going to use it. Traipsing in halfway through your wedding reception. If you're only using them for the dancing part of your ceremony, you don't want them coming in and setting up. And look, if they're a good band, they're going to say, no way, Jose, we're not going to do that anyway. But you need to think about when these people have access to the venue to set up and then leave and then pop back in when they're um, allowed, when they're invited to come back in and start playing the music. Again, wedding music is something that you might be having all on an iPod. You might be able to just plug it in and play and it's all ready to go. 
But please be aware that if you are organising a band or two, maybe you've got an acoustic duo to come in and play a little bit of music over your eating and then you've got a band or perhaps you've got a DJ, just factor their setting up time into your planning. A lot of the times, if they're professional, they will suggest this to you and say, well, we like to arrive three hours prior. We like to do a little sound check, which is important. Make sure the PA works. And then we uh, chuff off for a couple of hours. We leave, very Australian saying, we chuff off. We take a hike and then we pop back in at 8pm and start dancing, start playing our music so you can get your jive on. Again, it's all about communicating when you want that to happen and how long you would like that to occur for. I always think two hours is a really solid amount of time for dancing. If you know you have a kick-ass band and you've got an audience, a group of guests that love to rock out with their cocks out and have a good time, hopefully not actually with their cocks out because that would be gross, but really like to let loose, maybe allocate an extra half an hour to 45 minutes. But realistically, if you're allocating four or five hours of dancing, even me, even I, who loves to dance cannot dance for that long it's not a marathon it's a wedding and after a couple of champs you need a special sit down in episode 57 of the save the date wedding podcast with my very special guest my lovely friend julia zamira who is an australian uh, very uh, famous if i might say australian tv presenter host and all-round gorgeous lady she spoke a lot about picking your wedding mc and also about making sure that you communicate with them and about how you wish to run the speech slash uh, a communication part of your wedding day. And that is making sure that the people that you are asking to make speeches are aware of a potential time limit. And it's not rude to say, look, can you keep it under 10 minutes? 10 minutes is a long time. At the moment, if you think about it, you've just, and you can look at your little device now, you can see I've been speaking for 13 minutes. Now, if you're engaging and you're interested in what the person's talking about, 10 minutes can be really interesting. If it's 10 minutes of someone who's not that great at speaking or a bit nervous or a bit drunk, hopefully they're not, it can seem like an eternity. So it's very important, as Julia said in that episode, that you stick to the schedule, you communicate that with your potential speakers at the wedding and mainly just try and keep things under five minutes. Five minutes is a perfect amount of time to get a message across, hit a couple of highs, get them to cry, (laughs) get them to laugh and then move on. You don't need war and peace style speeches, really long running things in your wedding. I can't tell you enough as a professional speaker and MC, how many people I have seen when I'm hosting an event get up and do fucking long, boring speeches that you just see the guests all wanting to top themselves. That's not appropriate. You don't want that or you don't want them tuning out either. So when you are planning your timeline, make sure you allocate a correct amount of time and then you communicate that with your MC or host for the evening to make sure they keep that running and keep that going on time so you can stick to your time limits and not have this going on and on. One thing that I have seen when I've been hosting events, and this is corporate events too, I've been hosting for years big sort of business events and awards and things, which are usually run quite tightly to time. And often the The organizer of the event is often in your ear saying, you know, you've got to make up for five minutes or you can stretch for another 10 minutes, which is sometimes mortifying to go, just stretch, just talk for 20 minutes. Okay, fine. 
That's what you're paying me for. I actually did have this happen. I was hosting um, an event for Science Week in Australia, and it was quite a big event. And the woman came up to me. Someone was running late, one of the attendees who was going to be speaking at the event. And I had... (laughs) I had planned, you know, I'd written some gear, I'd written some material. She'd sent me the schedule prior to the event. And um, then on the night, of course, this guy didn't turn up. And she came up to me and just said, can you just talk for 25 minutes? Do some jokes. And my head nearly exploded. I'm like, do you understand how long 25 minutes is unprepared? So uh, I actually ended up getting one of the audience members up on stage who was in the science community. And I interviewed them. I riffed. I made it work. I was a little poo pants because I was in front of a lot of people, but you've got to be flexible. And again, when you're choosing your MC, like we said in the episode with Julia, find someone that has the capabilities of A, not getting para, not getting smashed, not drinking too much before the event, and who can deal with ups and downs of hosting such an event like this and making sure it all runs smoothly and correctly. So when we're looking at the working backwards throughout our day, one thing, especially in the wedding reception time, is looking at cocktail hour, particularly if you are organizing to have your guests be entertained, wined and dined while you go away and have your photographs taken. I have a very fabulous photographic specific episode coming up uh, very shortly. So I don't want to go too far into the world of photography because I would prefer a wedding photographer give you that information and also talk about how to schedule your photographs depending on what sort of vibe you want to have and what you want covered when it comes to weddings. But one big thing, can I speak on behalf of all wedding guests, is don't leave us alone for two to three hours while you trolley off somewhere to have a huge photo shoot because it gives me the irks when people are left to have cocktail hour, which turns into cocktail, I don't know, three movies worth of cocktails. People get really drunk early and also you don't feel like you're at a wedding anymore. You sort of forget while you're there. So I really believe you should work with your coordinator or if you're the coordinator, work with the timeline, communicate with your photographer to say, let's have some photos. We're not traveling far distances to have the photographs taken and also work that into your timeline. So you are not gone for over an hour because it's a long, long day for everyone. A lovely long day. And yes, I do want you to get your photos taken, but also think about how people are going to perceive the overall event. And for the love of God, if you are serving cocktails, make sure there is adequate food so things don't get sloppy jalopy two hours into your wedding reception because there's nothing worse than people going, I'm really drunk, Uh, you know, an hour into the wedding. Being drunk's fun. Don't get me wrong, but you don't want to be that smashed that it all goes to pot because people are dribbling. That's just my advice from me to you. So I'm not going to go too far into the photography because, as I said, there will be more information about wedding photography and what we need to organize coming from an actual photographer. Hair and makeup. We're talking about the beginning of the day. We talked about the reception, the wedding reception. I'm now going to jump to the beginning of the day, and I'm particularly focusing on the bride here. The groom groom has it sort of easy on the wedding day. And if there are two brides, if we're going for two brides wedding, then we need to double this up. And it's interesting to see. I love hearing about same-sex weddings and how a lot of same-sex couples are choosing to take a little bit 
of our straighty 180 traditions, but also just riffing with it and doing their own thing, which I think is fabulous because we don't do that enough. Some couples are choosing to get ready together. That's not as popular yet, but I think it's becoming more and more common for couples to uh, get ready and arrive together, which is lovely. It really is lovely. If that is something you want to do, I highly encourage it. But from a bride's perspective, if you are having professional hair and makeup on the day, it's really important that you work with your hair and makeup artist, whether that's one person or two, and whether it's multiple people, depending on how big your bridal party is, you work backwards in the same way we did with the wedding reception as to when you need to be leaving your getting ready venue and when you need to be arriving at your wedding ceremony venue. So when I say this, a lot of people go, oh, hair and makeup just takes an hour. It's fine. I'll just get it done. And that's not the case. As we've talked about before, hair and makeup is quite an elaborate and also enjoyable event. If you're paying someone 200 bucks plus pounds as well to come along and do your hair professionally and your makeup professionally, you want to enjoy it. I had, over all the years of doing television, I've had my hair and makeup done a lot of times. It's sort of normal now, whatever. It's not that relaxing. You get in and out of the chair, you move on. But a lot of people, it's a new experience. It's exciting. It's being pampered. So this is where I encourage you to actually milk this situation. Feel like you are actually being treated like a queen, as you should be. And to feel like a queen, you must not be rushed. So therefore, you need to factor in the time to actually have this shit done. (laughs) The questions I will ask, I will ask you to ask is when it comes to hair and makeup, who is getting made up on the day? And of course, you would be talking with a hair and makeup artist or two separate entities, two separate people, if you're going that way, to ask them how long they would advise. If you're having a trial, that really helps because that helps the hair and makeup artists decide how long it might take to get it all organized. Of course, a trial is an added expense, but it also helps you to connect with your hair and makeup artist, decide what they're going to do, figure out if your hair works in one way or it doesn't. You don't want to be making these decisions on the day because it's an extra layer of stress. And also a lot of hair and makeup artists just won't do it anymore without actually meeting you and having a bit of a crack beforehand. The big thing is, is how big is the bridal party? If it's more than four people, then I suggest getting two hair and makeup artists if that is what you are choosing to pay for or ask them to contribute for. One thing I did do on our wedding day is I had my lovely hair and makeup artist Sally come along and then I said to my bridesmaids, look, I'm not in the financial position to pay for your hair and makeup. If you want it, let me know in advance and Sally's going to do you a cracking deal. Um, and if not, we'll just all get ready together and have a lovely time, which is actually what we ended up doing. My sister-in-law, Lara, had her hair and makeup done and my other bridesmaids, we all just jumped in and had a bit of a makeup party. It was actually a really nice bonding experience and they all looked fabulous. So if that's not in your budget and in your timeline as well, make sure you factor that in. If they're doing their own hair and makeup, actually schedule that in the call sheet that I talked about last episode. Put it in. If they're doing their own hair and makeup, say at 10 a.m., Jane starts to do her hair. Don't forget to add that in, even if it's not being done by a professional. If there is more than one hair and makeup artist working on the day and they don't usually work together, 
then I would ask you to ask them to communicate together. Because if you're using a, a separate hairstylist and a separate makeup artist, it's important that they know when they would both like to start working on who. And, you know, if you're introducing two people that don't know each other in their various professions, I think it's actually just polite to say a little introduction email to say, look, here is Penelope <laughs> doing hair and here is Tanya doing makeup. Welcome. I would actually advise to hire people that have worked together before. Again, I interviewed a lovely lady, uh, Emily, from the wedding hair company who just does wedding hair and makeup, and she's got a whole team that turn up on the day and make it happen. And there are plenty of companies out there like that that do that. So I would suggest trying to hire people that have worked together before and know each other's schedule and timing. Do not add people on the day. It's really rude. You can't just turn up and go, oh, my friend Felicity really wants her hair and makeup done. Can you fix that up? Can you make that happen? No, don't do it. It's rude and it's probably not going to work and it will ruin your time. Just just don't do it, okay? Um, <laughs> it's diva. It's really diva and you'll actually end up having to pay for it. For the bride's hair, I would suggest that you put aside at least an hour and that includes if you're having hot rollers or curling done in advance. It gives them plenty of time to play with it. And I remember my lovely friend Nicole on her wedding day, she was having this, oh my gosh, amazing sort of gypsy braid and then had a flower crown. She looks stunning. But the first time that the hair and makeup artist did it, she didn't love it. And she said, I think I'd like you to do it again. And it was great because she had factored in the time for her to rebraid the hair. And I think the second time around looked perfect, perfecto. But it was lovely that she had that time up her sleeve to just be honest and say, it's not quite what I wanted. Let's have another go. So make sure that you allocate the hour. Now, if you've got short hair or you're just asking for a blowout or something, of course, take into consideration your hairstylist's advice. But it doesn't hurt if you've got 20 minutes up your sleeve and it's done. Well, that's 20 minutes you can sit and chat to your bridesmaids or have a laugh or get more photos taken. You you can't, you can only win with extra time is what I'm trying to say. Your makeup as well, I would allocate at least 45 minutes depending on the style that the, that you select. Enjoy the time. Be pampered. I always love having a chat to the makeup artists on the day. You don't want to rush these things. That's not what it's about. It's actually about sort of having a time to, to be enjoying this moment and enjoying what you are creating, having this lovely, gorgeous pampering. That's what it's all about. And that's what you're paying for as well. So by allocating the correct amount of time, it makes it really work well. If you are having a photographer arrive at the hotel or at home when you're getting ready, just make sure that you communicate with them when you're getting your hair and makeup done uh, so they can come along and take a couple of shots, especially if you're wearing a veil or some sort of headpiece. A nice photograph is when you are putting that on your head. <laughs> I was trying to think of a nicer way to say that, when you're popping it on your noggin. So make sure that that is scheduled in. And also I would suggest perhaps that the bride gets her makeup done earlier and then you get the hair done towards the other end of the uh, the business end of the preparation time. But again, it depends on what you want done. And also remember if you have a dress that is going to come over your head, make sure that you do pack 
some sort of cloth or something that you can cover your face with as you pop the dress on so you don't get makeup on your wedding dress because that sucks trying to get that out two minutes before you're supposed to get in the car to go to your wedding ceremony. (laughs) Final thoughts on that. If you are going to a separate venue such as a hair salon, remember that you need to factor in your travel time to and from that venue to where you're going to be putting your dress on and also just Google map the hell out of everything. It's easy to then go, okay, Google Maps says 15 minutes, let's put 20 minutes on the schedule to make sure that if you get stuck in traffic or something happens, it's not going to be the be-all and end-all. Transport is another big factor into thinking about how long it will take to get to and from various places on your wedding day. If you're getting ready, hotel is just, if you're getting married at the same hotel you're getting ready in, well, you've got five minutes to walk down the stairs or catch the lift. If you're a 20 minute drive away, factor 30 minutes in, again, you can't control what's happening on the day in the area. There might be a fire, there might be a flood, you just don't know. So by adding extra minutes in, I guarantee you'll use them somewhere, whether it be driving or later on. The time will be eaten up. I guarantee it. By the end of the day, you'll go, oh, I had 13 extra hours allocated into this day and they're all gone. (laughs) I just mentioned packing the special cloth that you pop over your head and face to make sure you protect your dress. Often dressmakers will include that with your dress, but all you just need a hanky. It's nothing really special. Also, I'd like you to think a little bit about the extra things that you need to pack for the day of your wedding that a lot of people forget about. And now I notice some very clever Etsy sellers are selling these as packs. Now, I love Etsy. As you know, I probably, if you follow me on social media, I like to find my favorite Etsy things and I post them just to share them with you. It's a nice uh, way. I'm an Etsy affiliate. It's a nice way if you buy through the Etsy affiliate program, if you click on the links, I get about two cents from each purchase. It's a pretty nice way to say thank you, Alicia. But also, I just love sharing the Etsy wealth. There's so many wonderful things you can buy on Etsy and one of them is a bride pack. If you just have a look, I can post a couple this week as well, which is really a little purse or even you could use a bloody Ziploc sandwich bag. I don't care. No one's going to see this thing. But they're a pack of things that you might need, such as, well, you definitely need your lipstick because that will wear off even if you're using a MAC which I love MAC lipsticks because they last. You can buy a long-lasting lipstick. I wore a red MAC lipstick on the day. I think I I, I did end up going to the bathroom after a couple of champagnes. I did actually go and reapply, but it really lasted throughout our ceremony and photographs especially, and then I think into the reception, and then I did a touch-up. But buy a long-lasting lipstick, invest in that, but pop that in your little special bridal purse and also... Make sure you pack some Band-Aids and also perhaps some Panadol or some sort of, I was going to say ambient, that is not what I mean. (laughs) You don't want to be off your nuts at your wedding. I mean just some sort of disparate, you know what I mean, a painkiller. Because if you get a headache on the day, you can pop a couple of Panadols, pop a couple of tablets that won't make you weird, don't mix alcohol too much with it, and then you're back on your feet. Just little things that you might need on the day that might be hard to find at a wedding venue. If you're really organized, you could also do a bit of a needle and thread. If something falls apart, you've got the idea to tack it back together. But 
really just think on your feet about what you might need in a purse. You don't have to go and buy a fancy purse. Really, you're not. people spend a lot of money on buying a fancy purse and you never see the bloody thing. It sits under the table. I'm even just talking bring a purse from home or, as I said, a Ziploc bag that you can just fob off to a bridesmaid and she can pop it under her chair and just make sure it's there if you need it. Don't be spending extra money on a purse. You don't need an extra purse, really. I mean, everyone needs an extra purse. I love a handbag. Buy a nice handbag. Don't waste your money on a wedding purse. Just my personal thoughts. So that uh, that that is sort of sums it up for me. My key points to take away today is to work backwards. When you're working out your wedding planning timeline, it's working backwards from the end of the day to the beginning, figuring out how many hours you would like to dance for, how long you would like people to be eating and commuting. It's very important that you add travel times in. Also, if you are providing wedding day buses or transport, that also needs to be added to the timeline and communicated to someone that is organizing that sort of transport that if there is a leeway with timing, especially if things are running over, that the bus is going to wait around and not just take off. If they take off on your wedding day, you send them my way. That is really bad service. They're not going to take off. Don't worry about it. It's also very important that you really communicate with all of your vendors. And this is where it comes into, again, me highly suggesting that you investigate the use of a wedding planner or a day of coordinator to organize all of this stuff and to work with to organize this stuff together. The less stress and the less hassle, I guarantee you, the extra maybe three or $400, which I know is a lot of money, but to maybe save that extra money and then invest that into someone that can help you with these details, I guarantee it will be worth your while. I'm not saying you have to hire a wedding planner six months before and go all crazy, although a lot of wedding planners really, I think, provide a lot of bang for your buck when it comes to value in saving you time and also saving you stress. However, there are lots of wonderful wedding planners that do day of wedding coordination. And this is something that you, and I'd like to talk further about this with a day of coordinator on the show. I will find someone fabulous to interview, but it is important that you find this person months in advance and communicate months in advance as well. But it really just means they turn up on the day. Their job starts prior to the wedding, clearly organizing things, but they turn up on the day and make sure that everything runs when it's supposed to. Again, if you don't have that in your budget or you are interested in doing this yourself, I highly recommend having a maid of honor or someone that you trust. Maybe it's your mum or an auntie or uncle that you can work with, with your call sheet and timeline to go through the details way before the wedding and say, this is how I want it to run. If things don't go to plan. Here are all the phone numbers. Here are all the contacts. You organize it and look after it on the day. The last thing I want you to do is to have any worry or attachment to these plans on the day because you will be enjoying yourself. So make sure that you have a right-hand man or gal that you can 
you and your partner can communicate these plans to. And again, that's why I said in episode 85, it's really important to have a master document, a call sheet is what I called it, as we have in the television industry. And make sure that you can hand this document over and know that everything that happens on your wedding day is on that document. There are phone numbers, email addresses, timings. You know when that cake is going to be delivered and you have a phone number for the cake maker. So if something doesn't arrive, someone knows where to contact and who to contact on that day. And make sure that that document is in the people's, the right hands of the right people and you won't have to worry. You will have no stresses on the day because someone else will deal with any potential problems that may arise. I hope this has been of help to you, my lovely Save the Daters. And I thank Annie so much. Again, this question came from a lovely listener called Annie, who I read her email in um, episode 85 of the show, the first part of this this series, this two-part series about wedding timelines. I love hearing from you and hearing your suggestions Since I asked last episode, I've actually received a couple more uh, themed and topic ideas for the podcast, which I'm entirely, incredibly grateful for. If you'd like to contact me, visit savethedatepodcast.com, visit the connect button and uh, it will take you straight to me. Also, leave me a wedding Q&A voicemail. This is a new thing I'm trying out. It's through a company called SpeakPipe. You just hit a button and leave me a voicemail as you would have when you're leaving a phone message. I love hearing from you and I'd love to share some of your voices on my podcast. Can't just be old Alicia talking all the time. Get involved. I love you. All right, until next time, happy wedding planning and happy days. Save the date wedding podcast. Don't plan your wedding without it.